Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Epic Classroom Podcast. My name is Trevor Muir and I've been a middle and high school teacher as well as a teacher of future and current teachers and I love a good story. And I love to explore ways to help students live out great stories and for educators to thrive in their own. And that's what we talk about on this podcast. Whatever you teach or however you serve in schools, how can you lead a more impactful, dynamic, meaningful, and epic classroom? All right, well, hi, friends. It's been a bit since uh, we had a podcast episode, I think about two weeks. And that's because it is summer, and the pace of summer is just different than the rest of the year. You know, I, if you are a teacher on summer vacation or holiday right now, I'm hoping that I'm catching you at a time of rest and reflection and relaxation. Maybe you're sitting at the beach, maybe you're on a walk, maybe you're driving somewhere, whatever you're doing. If, if you're a teacher here in the States and you're on that, that typical school calendar, hopefully you are in the summer and you're getting a chance to breathe right now. I know that's kind of been a little bit of what my summer has looked like so far. Uh, you know, summer for me, I, I teach um, at a university a lot throughout the year, so I'm working with some future teachers and helping them figure out what it means to lead a classroom. Uh, but I don't do that in the summer. The summer is a lot of me getting to travel around and be with teachers and, and other educators all over the place. And so in the last month when I haven't been at home with my kids and my family and fishing and at the beach and reading and relaxing and writing and creating and doing some of those things that are just really nice for the summer to do, I've been on the road. I've been to Virginia this month. Uh, I just spent a whole week in Indiana working with teachers there, talking at a conference, but then spending three days with a couple groups of teachers trying to figure out how do we maximize student engagement and make learning more purposeful. It's, it's been a lot of fun, but it's also been a lot of time at airports and traveling, and it's been a little hectic lately. And, and so now I've kind of got this down week, and I live here in Michigan, and right now we are getting the heat wave and it is hot and it is glorious because it's not always hot where I live. And so I've just been trying to soak it up this week and slow my pace down and really just try to soak in the moment. And so I, in, in the midst of all of that pause, I thought, you know what, let's go record a podcast. Let, let's go check in a little bit. And, and I thought maybe I'd share a few thoughts of kind of what's been on my head this last month as we, or been on my mind this last month as, as the pace and the season has changed. And um, I, I can just say this though, before we get into it, because we're going to talk about neuroplasticity and a little bit of brain science in a moment. But before we do that, I just have to tell you, it's been such a joy being back in person with people again, right? Like it was one thing uh, to, to do it in little parts and, and the hybrid environment. And I got a taste of that in teaching this past year, and I'm sure you did as well. But, you know, where I've been the last month with teachers from South Carolina to Virginia to Indiana um, a couple of different times, it's all been in rooms full of people. And it's been people who have had this very shared experience of, of challenge and adapting and moving into different uncomfortable circumstances. And it's been a challenge. You know, every group of teachers that I've been with, I've asked the question, what's been the most challenging aspect 
of the last couple of years of teaching during a pandemic and teaching during social upheaval and division and, and anxiety and all that it's been. And, and there's been a few common sentiments. One is that it hasn't been easy right? Like from having to figure out how to use so many different technologies and try to discover new ways to engage with students because some of those old ways just aren't working anymore. The, the circumstances have changed too much. But then there's also just been the pressure of being an educator right now because, you know, learning loss is real, right? There, there absolutely was a deficit in learning caused by students being out and the inconsistency of programming and all that it's been. And, and yet a lot of the pressure to get students back to quote unquote where we want them to be has, has kind of fallen on the educators. It's fallen on the teachers, which I don't think is fair, by the way. I mean, I think teachers definitely share the burden, but there is so much more to it. And so I've just asked what's been most challenging. And I've been hearing about, yeah, that pressure and student engagement and student apathy and, and the difficulty of getting parents to, to partner with teachers and uh, the, uh, the other educators in the school to help students. It, it's all been a challenge. And yet, and I'm being completely sincere here, there has been this sentiment in every place that I've been in the last month or two that there's a lot of hope for where education can be going. Right. There, there, there's still that spark that animates teachers in, in a way that I don't see in other professionals that I talk to. There's still this missional aspect to the work, trying to help students find success and achieve their potential and, and you know, and reach greatness in different areas. And it's been really a joy to see that as we climb out of this really challenging season, that there's still so many people committed to helping students find success. And that has given me so much life. You know, I shared about my little girl, Piper, who had a really rocky start to her very first year of school. She started kindergarten last year. And, and after her very first week of kindergarten, which was full of all this tension on her parents' part, like all the anxiety of sending our little one off to school, and this is the beginning of her academic experience, and here comes 13 years of public education, and, and how is it going to go, and how is she going to feel about it? There was all that typical parent anxiety sending her off to it, and then she had this great first week, and, and the feedback from her was amazing. She loved her teacher. She was starting to get to know classmates. And then that Saturday, she came down with a fever, and it turns out it was COVID, which I know this isn't an abnormal story for anyone, but this has been our experience. She had COVID, and, and back then when the Delta strain was really taking hold, uh, there, there was some serious quarantining. We, we missed about a month of school. She missed about a month of her very first experience in kindergarten and it was really hard when she went back to school it was just disrupted she she struggled making friends and and you know we talked to her teacher at conferences and it was really like hey I love having her here of course but I can tell that it's not being easy for her so far she's crying in class she doesn't want to go on the playground hasn't made friends I'm not seeing that spark from Piper we saw in the very first week and as parents, this just broke our hearts. It was so, so hard to see our little girl struggling, especially 
when we had such high expectations for how we for how it all go and so it, it was a struggle and then you know by her teacher making us aware of that and we were able to start working with her in different ways she started making friends and she started falling in love with her teacher and by the end of this school year she wrote this note to her teacher mrs dealman and it basically just said i love you so and there was like 11 o's much and and you teached me so good this year and you know our little girl learned how to read and write this year she learned to love school she learned how to make friends she learned how to deal with conflict she 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 did all of these things despite the disruption and so much of of that is owed to her brilliant and wonderful teacher and and so like my takeaway from that is that in the midst of all these challenges, there's still been magic, right? There's still been growth. And that's for my little girl, but that's for so many students. And so, and, and I've just been hearing that sentiment all over the place, because, you know, followed by what's been challenging when I asked that the teachers, I ask, has there been any magic mixed into all of it? Was there some grace woven into this challenging story? And 100% of the time, the answer is yes. And that's not a silver lining like, oh, at least this happened, so it's all good. No, but it, there was just this honesty. There's been this honesty from teachers that, yes, despite it all, I still built relationships with students. And, and I still watch kids learn how to read. And I still watch students learn how to have real deep discussions with each other. And I watch kids make relationships. And I watch brave students stand up to bullies. And I, and I watch students find ways to be inclusive to all of their classmates. And I still found joy in my work. And, you know, and so as I think about that, I'm just like, man, what a gift it is to get to be with people in the summer like this when they're tired, when they're a little beat down, when they need rest but then also to be with people who, ha who just carry that type of hope with them. It gives me lots and lots of hope. And there's this other reality about when we go through challenging times like this. There's something about challenges that does something to us, that, that, that really makes a good story. And, and in every good story, the hero, the main character, the protagonist is always shaped by the story. For my other ELA teachers out there, you know what I'm talking about here. There, there's two types of, of characters within a story. There's dynamic characters and there's static characters. And the static character is the one who doesn't change throughout the plot. It's, it's the Uncle Scar and the Lion King. He's a bad guy with selfish intentions from the very beginning, and he's the exact same way at the very end. And he doesn't come to a very good end because nothing changed in his character throughout the time. That's a static character. But then you have dynamic characters. Dynamic characters, they're the hero who started in what is known as the known world. This is what they're used to, but then conflict was introduced and they were drawn out of the known into the unknown world. And it's in the unknown that you undergo challenges and obstacles, but then you also encounter guides and mentors to help you overcome those obstacles. And when you do that, you are transformed. You gain something you didn't have when you started the story in the first place. It's, it's, it's only strength and, and skill that you can gain from undergoing the conflict. It's, it's a reality of stories. It's a pattern. It's called the hero's journey, and it's found in every good story you've ever heard. And, and, and I think the reason that it's found in every good story 
and I mean it. There's, there was a mythologist named Joseph Campbell who studied thousands of stories all throughout human history trying to discover if this pattern is within all of them. And he says that it is. He, he studied Native American myths and ancient Egyptian stories and Shakespeare and Hemingway and Steinbeck and, and Pixar movies and Disney movies. All of these stories have this similar pattern in them. It, it, and what that tells me, there's something universal about storytelling. There's something universal about the human experience. All humans understand at a deep neurological level this power of stories. And so if there's something universal to stories, there must be something that relates to that in our own lives. And I think it's the reality that we don't go through the hero's journey. We don't travel through the unknown and undergo all of these obstacles without gaining something at the very end. And, and so that's been one of my challenges for people is asking that question, what have you gained? Joseph Campbell calls it the elixir. The elixir is what you can only get after undergoing the hero's journey. And so what is that elixir? And I think one of the tangible elixirs that we have all gained, if you've taught or led a school or, or guided students or other staff through this pandemic, is one of the elixirs we have gained is something called neuroplasticity, or, or maybe it's the result of neuroplasticity. And so this is what neuroplasticity is. Researchers and brain scientists, they have discovered that our brains create these, these common pathways based on our routines and normalcy. So when we are in our comfort zone, the neurons in our brain fire in a certain way and they follow the same paths in our brain every single time. It's based on routine. But then when something disrupts that routine, our brain, it creates a blockage in our pathways and our neural pathways. And so therefore our brain has to form new pathways in order to solve whatever that problem is. And so essentially our brains grow when we are drawn outside of our comfort zone. We literally have more capacity neurologically when we experience challenges. Our brains physically grow, our pathways grow. We are able to handle new things when we experience challenges which reminds me of stories, right? It's, it's overcoming those obstacles that allow us to gain that elixir. And it's the same with our own lives. Think about this last year when you found out with no more than a week's notice that you were gonna have to convert everything you, you teach and what you do in the classroom to a virtual setting with new technologies and new methodology and pedagogy. And yet you somehow found a way to do it. And it wasn't necessarily pretty. And it doesn't come with a lot without bumps along the way. And yet you were able to adapt within these difficult circumstances. And in the process, your brain was growing because of it. You are now more adaptable than you were when this pandemic started. And this is the reality of challenges. And this is why I think a lot of educators were able to make these adaptations through, throughout the pandemic is because it wasn't the first time they were forced to do that, right? Like how many times have you had a lesson, and this is pre-pandemic, how many times did you have a lesson that was dependent on Wi-Fi and then your Wi-Fi went out at the beginning of class and you had to do the entire lesson without it? Did you just mail it in and say, nope, I guess we're not gonna have class today, guys. The Wi-Fi's out. 
No, of course not. You found a way to still engage your students. And maybe it wasn't what you planned, but you still adapted. You did something about it. Or how many times have you had a student outburst in the middle of class and it completely derailed what you had planned and you had to pivot on the spot. You had to adapt based on the circumstances, right? Like it is inherent to the teaching profession that you have to adapt. And this has always been the reality. I always ask teachers when I'm with them, is, is there anybody here who has taught for at least 10 years? And there's often lots of hands that go up. And I say, okay, how about more than 20 years? And many of the hands go down. And I say, how about 30 years? And then there's only a few hands left. And we keep going up until we get to the most seasoned teacher in the room. And I was in a room recently where there was a gentleman there who had been teaching for 51 years. And everybody loves to clap for that guy because holy smokes. And I asked him, I said, his name is Coach Thompson, by the way, down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Hey, Coach. Uh, I, I asked him, I said, have you seen any curriculum change since you started? And everybody laughs because they know that every three to four years, there's this new shiny curriculum to replace whatever came before that. And I said, have you been introduced to any, any new technology since you started teaching? How about student behavior? How about uh, we just list all the things that inevitably change throughout time? And of course, he said, yes, yes, yes. And he just talked about all of the adapting that he's had to do to continue to thrive in his work. And it's like, yeah, of course you have. And every time you do it, your brain is expanding. You are becoming more capable and you are gaining more capacity to make further adaptations. And so if you've been teaching for any amount of time, you have been undergoing this neuroplasticity the whole time. And this last couple years has thrown lots of opportunity for neuroplasticity to take place, this state of our brain to be able to grow and form new pathways when we experience challenges. And this is why I think there is a danger to the comfort zone, because I was reading this research that shows that when we are in our comfort zone, that's when our brains have the least amount of activity. We grow and we learn the least amount when we are comfortable, and we grow the most when we are uncomfortable, which that doesn't mean we have to just find ways to be uncomfortable all the time, by no means. But I think it does send this message that when discomfort occurs, if we can find a way to embrace it, if we can find a way to overcome whatever the obstacle is within our own hero's journey, we are actually going to benefit from it. You know, that's why, you know, I was, uh, I was doing a workshop in Indiana last week, and it was a lot of teachers who were on the younger end and trying to discover some more ways to engage students. And we were talking about project-based learning and enhancing authenticity and purpose and student curriculum and the work that they're doing. But there was a teacher there and it was her birthday and she was going on to her 30th year in the classroom. And, and I asked, I said, so why are you doing this? Because like you're towards the end of your career. Why, why, why are you here? Why do you want to spend two days with me learning how to do this when you probably could just keep doing what you were doing? Because clearly something's worked. You're still here. And you know, she just said, I want to try something new. Like I wanted more challenge. And it's like, yes. And I, and I think that is one of the keys to vitality and thriving in your work, whether it's being a teacher or some other form of educator, or if it's you're doing anything, it's continuing to push yourself and driving yourself into unknown territory, leaving that comfort zone 
because you know that when you do that, it's good for your mental health. It's good for your brain growth. It's good for your well-being. There's so much joy to be found outside of the comfort zone and so much danger within just staying in it. That's where complacency sets in. That's where we, we, we get into these ruts and we fail to see the bigger picture of our work because our brains are just forming these familiar pathways and they only work in that way and there is very little growth. And so maybe one of the things that you can do this summer as you are reflecting and as you are resting and rejuvenating and not thinking about teaching, but I would challenge you, what if you kept your eye out for new opportunities to get out of your comfort zone. What does that look like? And, and I can't speak uh, for where you teach or what your circumstances are, but whatever you do, what could be something new and maybe a little uncomfortable that you can intentionally dive into knowing that it can change your practice, that it can help engage students in new ways, that it might engage staff in some ways if you're a school leader, but then it also will serve you that it'll actually bring you joy, it'll bring you new life to your work, and it will also grow your brain. Now, does this mean we have to like discomfort? Not exactly. You know, at one time I was leading at a school and me and a couple other teachers thought it would be really cool to do a school-wide proje project. And we said, all right, for the next two weeks, we're gonna have some staff meetings about this and PLC time. We're gonna plan out an experience where students don't have a specific class they go to. We were gonna have this big innovation fair at our school and students were gonna get into groups and create innovations based on certain problems and content standards. And they were gonna work on them collaboratively and we were gonna draw certain students to our rooms. And if we needed to do mini lessons or catch up time or direct instruction, we were going to do that in chunks, and so students didn't necessarily have to go to just Mr. Muir for English class. He might go, they might go for me for a little bit, but then go to the science class and get a lesson there and apply that learning to what they're working on. And we had this big, bold, bold problem, and we were really, really excited about it. And the end project is we were going to have this big innovation fair where we invited the community and business leaders to come out and see the students work. And they were just going to showcase what they worked on for two weeks in this big, open, loosey-goosey, school-wide project atmosphere. And so we planned for it, and we were excited, and we didn't think anything could go wrong, because what could possibly go wrong by having hundreds and hundreds of students without a schedule or, or structure for two weeks? What could possibly happen? Yeah, it all happened. We had so many students just all over the place and many finding ways to not work. And it was hard to keep them all on the same page. And some students worked really, really hard on their ideas. And then there were other students who put very little effort into what they were working on because there was hard, it was hard to hold them accountable. And man, the scheduling was challenging and, and the making it through the day was just a big slog. And I just, I remember the whole time. And by the way, I like giving voice and choice. I like empowering students to own their learning, but I felt like this was too much. And it was a little chaotic. And I remember by the end, we had the big showcase and some of the students had really brilliant projects to, to showcase and some did not. And it didn't look very well to us from the outside. And, and I remember like, as we debriefed this and there was a lot of disdain for this whole experience among the teaching staff. We were like, never again do we want to do this. And so there was, it wasn't all joy as we unpacked it. And yet I remember learning a very valuable lesson 
that sometimes structure is good, right? Sometimes our students need structure. Sometimes I need structure. I need a schedule. And with it's, in, it's within that structure, it's within that schedule that you can give voice and choice, that you can empower students and allow them to make de creative decisions and help choose their path. But maybe having that structure first is a really valuable thing. And you know, since then, I've done a lot of big projects with students, and some of them were just as big, if not more ambitious than that one. And yet I learned that structure has a place and that I need to make sure my students have a schedule they can follow in some way and that, and that, there's, that they're being guided through the unknown space of solving the problem rather than trying to do it on their own within an atmosphere we create. I learned that lesson not just because somebody told me, although I'm sure sometime in teaching school and college, a, a professor probably talked about how important it is to have some type of structure with students and during the work time. I probably taught, was taught that. I probably read it in a book. I, 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 maybe I was even told that by my mentor teacher when I was student teaching, like, hey, here's some important things you always want in the classroom. But I tell you what, I really learned it through the challenge, through the experience. My brain grew those two weeks, even though it didn't have the outcome that we all desired, there was a different outcome and it was good for me. And it, it informed how I was going to teach moving forward. And that can only happen through experience. And it can also only happen when we embrace that experience. When we don't just chalk it up as a failure, but instead see it as a fail that we failed forward, that we learned from, right? Like I, I remember this, this quote I saw on the wall of a school one time, and I'm trying to remember it. it. It was something along the lines of, failure is when you give up, failing is when you mess up and keep going. There is a difference between failing and failure, and when we have that mindset of failing, it informs us, and it allows us to iterate and make adjustments and be better as we move forward. It was that comfort zone that kept me thinking that, oh, this is the best way to teach. This is the best way to set up time for my students and learning experiences. But it was the challenge, it was the, the not so comfortable that informed me how to actually do it better. And that has actually changed my entire practice and how I approach. You know, that's something I often talk about in workshops. And, and I get that there's different philosophies and I am wide open to them. And I am sure my philosophies for teaching will continue to shape and mold throughout time but I'm a pretty strong believer in creating a strong structure for students to work within and then giving choices and empowerment along the way. It's, it, it's saying, hey, we're all going to be trying to solve this problem, and this is the problem you have to solve. I'm not just gonna let you solve any problem in the world. And maybe sometimes I'll even say, hey, we're gonna solve this problem, and here is what you and your groups are gonna create. Now, how you create them might be up to you, or maybe some of the choices along the way are going to be up to you. Maybe we are going to try to honor veterans in our community, and, and we're all going to honor veterans, and we're all gonna be ready for this event at the end where we showcase what we created. However, what you create might be up to you as long as it fits some of these criteria. You know, so maybe one group is going to create documentaries, one group is gonna create podcasts, one group is gonna create artwork, some groups might create creative writing, whatever you create, that's up to you. However, it does have to have three pieces of research. You have to be able to pull in outside media. You need to use primary sources. So I'm still giving criteria, but then there's also choices along the way. And the criteria is the structure, right? Like it, it, it allows us to, to stay on task and know what we're working towards and, and be reminded of what the problem is we're solving and what we're trying to achieve. 
and yet I'm getting to have voice and choice and empowerment along the way. And this is a valuable lesson that has absolutely changed the way I teach. And this is something that I try to help other teachers do as well. And it was informed by experiences like the big innovation fair that was just pure chaos, that was out of my comfort zone. But because I was out of my comfort zone, I learned something from it. It is good to be out of the comfort zone. It is human to get out of our comfort zone. It's good for us as educators, and it's also good for students. We've got to praise when they take risks. We need to affirm bravery. When they do things in class that are out of their comfort zone, we've got to make sure they know that that is good so that they keep doing it, so their brains can keep growing. I remember I had this student named Zeke who was highly introverted. And I remember when I first got to know Zeke in my class, I thought like, man, this kid just doesn't have a whole lot to contribute to the class. He never raises his hand to speak. He never speaks up in discussion. He always kind of sits on the sideline during group projects and does very little to contribute. And then when I started getting to know Zeke, I realized, oh no, he's got a lot going on. He just needs some time to process it. And he's a little shy and he doesn't always like to share what he's processing. But when I create spaces for him to actually do that where he feels comfortable to share, he does some amazing things. And I remember one time in class, he raised his hand when we were having this discussion. And in my class, we didn't even have to raise our hands to speak during this discussion. It was kind of more free flowing. But I remember he puts his hand up and I'm like, yeah, Zeke, what do you have to say? And I remember he said something so brilliant and it was so like illuminating for everybody. And, and I just like I was taken aback by it, like, oh, he's speaking out. And I remember just praising him. And I remember after class saying, hey, I really loved the way you shared today. Thank you for doing that. And he kind of just nodded his head. But to me, that was a way of letting Zeke know, hey, I know that that was a risk. I know it took some bravery for you to speak up like that. You know, for me personally, for Trevor, it doesn't take very much bravery to speak up. I like public speaking. I love sharing what's going on in my brain. Sometimes I need to temper myself and speak a little less. And so it doesn't take a whole lot of bravery for me to speak up in a class or speak on a stage or whatever it is. But for Zeke, it did. And when I affirmed that, when I let him know that I was proud that he did that, that he took that risk, what that's doing is telling him to keep doing it. And the more you do it, the more your brain will expand. And the more it expands, the more you will be capable of and the more cool things you can do in this world and other ways to make it a better place. And that comes from affirmation and, and praising getting out of the comfort zone. And so how do we do that? How do we draw our students out of that? I think that's something we can explore more later on, but I think it starts with realizing that being out of the comfort zone is a good place to be. Not always. You know, I, I think the summer is a really good time to just sink back into your comfort zone. Find some space, develop peaceful routines as your brain recuperates, as your body recuperates, as your spirit rejuvenates and finds new life. But then also be asking, what are some ways that I can change it up this next year? What are some things I can do that I'm not used to 
that I might feel uncomfortable that maybe carry a little bit of risk. Maybe that's planning a project. Maybe that's inviting the community in on what you're doing. Maybe that's checking out a new class text to teach from. Maybe that's in math doing more some problem-based learning where there's a little bit more free flow to the learning process. Maybe it's setting up a maker's space. I don't know. Maybe it's getting rid of your teacher desk or having a teacher desk that moves something that draws you out of being comfortable because you know it's good for you. You know it helps bring life to your work and it brings vitality to the work that you do and it also grows your brain. It all, there's a reality about neuroplasticity is that when we step out of our comfort zone, we find new pathways. And when we find new pathways, we find new ways of approaching our work and seeing the world and finding ways to thrive in all of it. So get out of your comfort zone. Thanks for listening today. Again, I don't know what you're doing while you listen to this, but when you tag me on social media and tell me that you are, are you listening to this? It brings me a whole bunch of joy because I don't know if anybody's out there. I guess the numbers say they are, but uh, when I find out, when I meet you in person or I, I see on social media that you are listening, I just want you to know I love that. That, that makes me feel real good. So making this podcast was out of my comfort zone, by the way. This was brand new territory for me, and I was very, very nervous about it at first. If you listen to the first couple episodes, and this is a little trick, don't tell anybody about this, those were scripts. I would literally say everything I'm saying right now, and I would do voice to text to Google Docs, and I would try to write it all out first so I didn't mess up. I didn't want anybody to listen to my podcast and be like, wow, what is this garbage? What is this rubbish? Uh, but I tell you what, the more I've done it, the more I felt like, you know what, create an outline, write it on paper. See, this is paper. Write it down, and then just talk and share. And, and, and then it's okay. And people are okay if you don't sound perfect and polished. And to me, that's out of my comfort zone. I like to be in control. I like things to be polished, but sometimes when they're not, that's where the good stuff comes from. And so I'm gonna keep trying to find ways to step out of mine, and I hope that you will as well. Um, last thing, I'm gonna be down in Orlando next week at the Get Your Teach On conference. And uh, there's gonna be like 4,000 educators from all over the place convening down in Orlando, and I actually get to give one of the keynotes. You know who another one of the keynotes is? Mario Lopez. Yeah, A.C. Slater from Saved by the Bell will be giving a keynote, and I can't wait to meet him in the green room. So what a crazy life it is that we live. So if you are going to be there, by the way, if you are one of the 4,000 that's going to be down in Orlando, please find me and say hi. I would love to connect with you. Um, I'll be down there with my family. We're going to hit up Harry Potter World while we're there. We're just going to turn this uh, speaking gig into a family vacation. So we're going to be having some fun. That is next week. But uh, right now it is 2.15 on a Tuesday afternoon. And so I'm going to stop recording and then I'm going to go find my kids and uh, we are going to go fishing or go swimming or something like that. Um, and I don't want to be in my, out of my comfort zone this afternoon. I want to be comfortable in the nice, hot, sunny weather. So we're going to go find a pool or a lake somewhere. And uh, whatever you're doing, I hope that you are finding joy in all of it. Thank you for listening to the Epic Classroom Podcast. My name is Trevor Muir. And uh, whatever you do to make learning engaging and memorable and transformative for your students, uh, I just hope you know that there's at least one person who appreciates it. And I think there's a lot more too, um, but I'm one of them. So anyway, until next time, thanks for listening.